Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I've got a topic that's near and dear to my heart that I'd love to lean into today. It's on what to do when bitterness takes over. I think we've all experienced wounds and hurts of different degrees at different points and time in our journey. And if this one doesn't hit you now, it might be relevant for you a couple of weeks or a couple of months or even a couple of years from now. So let's go ahead and jump in. I'll never forget the night my mom made my sister vomit with dinner. Now, let me explain. While my mom was making dinner, my older sister wandered through the kitchen. and Dinner wasn't yet ready, but she was hungry now, so she grabbed a bite to eat from the counter. But the bite she grabbed was raw pork. And because my mom didn't want her to get sick, uh, she took her upstairs and got the syrup of Ipecac out of the medicine cabinet. Uh, She took my sister into the bathroom. She had her drink it. And everything that needed to get out of her system came out of her system. Now, fortunately, despite the discomfort of that process, she suffered no ill effects. And I asked my mom later why that was such a big deal. And she explained that raw pork can carry a parasite called trichinosis, and that in extreme cases, trichinosis can be fatal. And as a mom, she'd rather have her daughter be uncomfortable than have her be hospitalized. And it's true. The parasite trichinosis can kill you, and bitterness can too. Which is why the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Some of us have ingested bitterness lately, and God wants to flush it out of our system for our healing and for our good. And in order for us to move beyond bitterness, I think we need to take a fresh look at bitterness and its consequences, ourselves and our need for mercy, others and how much they matter to God, and God and the things he really cares about. So let's, let's take a fresh look at bitterness. The writer of scripture says that if I want to see the Lord, I need to be holy. And if I want to be holy, I need to be at peace with all people. And if I want to be at peace with all people, I need to do the work that it takes to get there. Again, that line from Hebrews says, make sure no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So bitterness prevents us from seeing God, it causes trouble in our relationships, and it defiles our ability to connect with others. And that word defile isn't one that I use very often, but it means to poison, to pollute, or contaminate. And bitterness does, in fact, poison us. I remember hearing an author, Skip Gray, write, Bitterness is the poison we swallow while hoping the other person dies. Bitterness is the poison we swallow while hoping the other person dies. I don't know about you, but I, but I like to think about my heart like a like a tackle box where where anglers, where fisher people put all of their different lures and hooks and tools. And when we set up our heart that way, we like to think, well, I can put love in this box and I can put worry in this box and ambition in this box. And in this little tiny corner over here, I'll put bitterness. But that's not how we're wired. In fact, Our heart is more like a plastic kiddie pool. If you dump a gallon of gasoline into a kiddie pool, it's not safe for your toddler to swim in. And the same is true of bitterness. Bitterness bleeds. It bleeds into the corners of our hearts, into the recesses of our brains, into the core of our bodies. 
It bleeds into our prayers and our relationships. It bleeds into our memories and our motives. And if we don't root it out, it'll bleed into our faith and our future. The good news is God gives us grace to make every effort to root bitterness out. About a week and a half ago, I was doing some weeding in our yard, and I, I noticed that young plants have shallow roots. You can, you can kind of do one pull at the base of a new dandelion, and that sucker's out. Older plants have deeper roots. It might need a trowel or a spade to remove. But mature treats have many roots. They require heavy machinery, maybe a backhoe to get them out. And the only thing that determines what kind of tools are required to remove bitterness from your heart is how long has your bitterness been growing? It doesn't matter if it's been two days or 20 years. Today's a good day to begin the work of rooting it out. Bitterness also requires us to take a fresh look at ourselves. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. He goes, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For all members of one body, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. And do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, while it's tempting to rehash, rewind, and replay the wrong that has been done to us, living in judgment blinds us to our own need for grace. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and forgive. Why? Because in Jesus, God has forgiven you. Jesus tells the story of a man who has forgiven a great debt. And the same day, he hunted down a friend who owed him a small amount of money, and he assaults the man. He starts choking him, screaming, pay back what you owe me. And Jesus is trying to highlight the hypocrisy of that moment. He's saying to beg for forgiveness without extending forgiveness to others is a form of spiritual violence. And when I'm walking in unforgiveness, I'm discounting and dismissing the mercy that has been extended to me while I commit an act of spiritual violence against those who I'm harboring bitterness towards. Jesus says this to his disciples, as recorded in Luke's gospel. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This version says, forgive us, because we are already forgiving the people around us. Another version says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I wonder if Jesus included these phrases back to back for a reason. 
Maybe he said, make sure that you walk in mercy and pray to be delivered from evil because we're all tempted to swim in the waters of bitterness. But Jesus wants to lead us past them and deliver us from the evil that is vengeance. So if we want to move past bitterness, we need to understand its consequences. We need to appreciate our own need for mercy, and we need to have a fresh look at the people around us. Healing from the wounds of the past requires seeing others as siblings and not just sinners. And rather than demonize those who have done us wrong, God invites us to humanize them. That does not mean that we excuse their behavior. That said, there's a fine line between yearning for justice and craving revenge. I remember I was really deeply wounded by a group of people a few years ago, and I remember as I was leaving a meeting with a representative of that group, I remember looking him in the eye and saying this. I go, you know what? Either God's going to correct me if I've been wrong in this situation, or he's going to vindicate me because I was right. And as I look back on that moment a few years later, I realize that God did a little bit of both, that God was able to, to vindicate me for the things that had been done to me that were wrong, but not my fault. But God was also able to reveal some things that, that I had done out of immaturity or wrongheadedness or selfishness or arrogance along the way. But there's, there is a difference between wanting justice and needing revenge. Jesus says this, again, this is recorded in Luke 17. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. And if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear those words, but if my brother sins against me seven times in the same day, I am inclined not to be kind. I think that's why the disciples say, increase our faith, because forgiving somebody the same offense seven times in one day is a mercy that's too radical. Jesus says, with this faith, you can throw trees into the sea. And with that same faith, we can see other people the way that God sees them. And we can give them grace, even if they don't technically deserve it. Look at what Jesus says, even as he is being tortured and killed by Roman soldiers. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus is giving his very life for the sins of the world, and the Roman soldiers are gambling for his clothes at the shadow of the cross. They are truly and totally ignorant of what they're doing and how they got there. See, for these soldiers, killing Jesus wasn't personal. It was just another day at the office. They didn't get out of bed that day saying, well, let's stick it to this Jesus guy. It's very possible that they didn't even know who was on the list of execution that day. Why? Because violence was the language of Rome. It was what they had learned and it was all they knew. A few years ago, I was struggling to forgive someone who had wounded me deeply. And the more I thought about his behavior and the more I thought about his family of origin, 
it was as if God was reminding me that he was working with a limited relational toolkit. Again, it didn't excuse his behavior, but it helped me understand it. And finally, I was able to echo Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive him. He is lost and confused. He doesn't even understand what he's doing. So again, if we want to if we want to move beyond bitterness, it means that we acknowledge the consequences of bitterness. We acknowledge our own need for mercy. We acknowledge that others are broken in ways that are different from us, that don't excuse the harm that they have caused, but maybe provides some context for how they got there. But then finally, the road beyond bitterness requires a fresh look at who God is. One of my favorite characters uh, in the Bible is my namesake, this guy by the name of Stephen. And as he sought to faithfully live out the gospel in the first century Jerusalem, he was met with some political and religious persecution. And we pick up the story here in Acts chapter 7. It says, When the members of the Sanhedrin, a ruling religious council in Jerusalem, heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at them at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul and while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Luke, who wrote this account, said that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit when he looked up to heaven. And see, maybe the antidote to my bitterness is to view my scenario against the backdrop of heaven. Rather than replaying the wrong and stoking the fires of rage, I can redirect my gaze and see God over and above all things. God holding all things together. God reminding me that I am deeply loved and not alone even in spite of the wrong and the hurt that I've suffered. See, Stephen, who knew Jesus' story well, follow his, followed his example. Jesus' last words were, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then he said, Lord, receive my spirit. Stephen flipped those around. He said, Lord, receive my spirit. And almost as a, as a bonus, he says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. It's really interesting that Stephen would respond this way. Because another prophet who had been murdered in Jerusalem, a guy by the name of Zechariah who had lived centuries before, as he was being killed for his faith, he yelled this out, May the Lord see this and call you to account. And he was justified in doing so. But Stephen, a, a prophet in his era, said to his contemporaries, I'm not going to ask God to punish you. I'm going to ask God to forgive you. And it's my sense that that act of mercy, that that declaration of kindness haunted those people for the rest of their days. And it's my hope that when we see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of Father, we have the same clarity that Stephen had. That we understand in that moment that Christ has defeated death and trampled every enemy underfoot. 
that Christ has restored and is restoring all things and redeemed every hurt for his glory because his wounds have made us whole. Even in the light of all that has been done to us, when we see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, we can be reminded that the wounds of others hurt us, but they don't defeat us and they don't define us. So we can let them go and move towards the wholeness and the shalom that God has called us to. Yet when bitterness takes root in your heart, that's hard. But the only thing harder than being hurt is continuing to live in that hurt when God is calling us to move past it in his grace and by his glory. So as we process those hurts, let's pray for one another and ask God for the ability to let them go so that we can see him clearly. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Hope through hard stuff. So grateful to all of you who are listening regularly, who are subscribing, who are downloading and sharing episodes. If you've got a topic that you'd like to discuss, you can go ahead and email me. The address is steve at winningathome.com. And if our team here at Winning at Home can be praying for you, uh, you can send me a note there as well. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.